You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Well, good morning, church. Good to see everyone today. You look good. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them you look good. <laughs> if you're sitting by a stranger and they're pretty, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> good to be at church. You know, I was over here worshiping, and I'll tell you what, I just needed to worship. You ever been at that place? Uh, I just need to worship. You know, I don't know what kind of week you've had, but there's power in worship. There's power in praise. There's power in, in calling on the name of Jesus. There's power in that. And uh, I, I, I love doing that. Um, <clears throat> do you remember, for those of you who, who maybe you consider yourself a Christian, um, or, or maybe you're here and maybe you could you know, identify with this, do you remember the time someone first talked to you about Jesus? Do you remember that time? Um, <clears throat> for me, it was, I was a sophomore in high school, and I played, I played football. And I would have, I very likely would be playing professionally, but I need to be another two feet and more athletic. But other than that, I would have been. Um, but uh, I remember it was this guy. We were in a trailer park home, uh, trailer park home, a mobile home kind of thing, and that's where we, the guys got together. And there was this really big athlete that showed up. I remember, and he played professional sports, and I couldn't tell you who he was or what team he played with. But he he showed up. And he started talking about Jesus, and uh, the school I went to, you were either black or Hispanic, and I just remember this guy showing up, and, and he was a big white guy, and, and he talked about Jesus, and, and, and I, I grew up in the Catholic Church, I just wasn't a real good Catholic, and uh, I just wasn't, so it was never, I never had a relationship with Jesus. Um, I, I knew how to be religious, but I didn't know, I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, and um, after that that sophomore visit from that from that athlete, um, after that, I'll, I'll just tell you, I uh, I did not start reading my Bible. I did not give my life over to Jesus. I did not start going to church. But there was something that happened in my heart, like my heart was like softened. It was softened. There was like a seed that was planted. And it just sat in my heart. You know, the word of God is so powerful, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is so powerful. Once it's planted, you can't get away from it. It's one of those, those, those things that you need to make a decision. And even if you don't make a decision, you're making a decision. And that was my experience. And a, a few years after that, I, I gave my life over to Jesus, and, and my life has never been the same, and now I'm on stage up here because Jesus got a hold of my life. Um, but do you remember that day when someone, someone maybe talked to you about, about Jesus, and, and uh, maybe you can recall it? Um, just outside yesterday, um, <coughs> Phil, who was greeting, and he was uh, visiting one of our uh, liquor store customers, and uh, they showed up, and they started talking to him about all the problems in their life, and Phil is sharing with them, you know, maybe she come to church, and, and, and she said, yeah, I'll try to go come sometime, and this kind of thing. There's people all around us that are broken or wounded or, or need to know Jesus. They're, they're everywhere, and, and there's nothing more powerful, nothing more powerful that you can share with anyone than Jesus Christ. So let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your love. You're so good. Thank you for your mercy. And God, I humble myself before you. I just choose to die to myself 
Holy Spirit, work in me and through me according to your word. We don't need to hear a word from me. We need to hear a word from you, God, and we need your wisdom, Lord. I pray every soul here has an encounter with your very, very presence, with your living spirit, Jesus, with your Holy Spirit. May every soul have an encounter right now, God, during this time. Give them a word. Just tell the Lord, speak to me. Make that your prayer. Just tell them, speak to me. God, uh, thank you for, for your grace. Thank you for forgiving us for our sins and your unfailing love, God. I'm so glad you're a God that doesn't walk out on us. I'm so glad, God, that you're a God that uh, loves us and you're able to reach us no matter how far we are from you. And I'm so glad, God, that you're a God who desires to walk with us and us to know him. And I know we're in this world for such a short time, Lord. I'm so grateful for your love, your consistency, your character. Thank you. Have your way in this service, Lord, I pray. In this message, have your way. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God is good, church. He's so good. Hey, uh, if you're just joining us, we're in this series called Unleashed, and we're looking at the book of Acts, the unleashing power of the Holy Spirit. You know, in Acts chapter 2, you read about Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, and that's the day when the Holy Spirit descended on the apostles, and they all started speaking in languages from other regions, and the church was born. The church was born, and Simon Peter preached a lights out message, and 2,000 were added, and 3,000 were added, and it just went on and on and on. Uh, the, the church, the organization, is unlike any other organization. I say this every week because I'm in love with the church. It's different from the company you work for, and it's going to outlast the company you work for. It's been going on for 2,000 years, and that's what you're a part of right now. So the book of Acts, you can find it right after the Gospels in the New Testament. There's Matthew. Mark, Luke, John, and then you have the book of Acts right there. And, and uh, it's broken up in two different sections. In the first 12 chapters, you read about Peter quite a bit. And then in the last few chapters, you read about Paul the Apostle. Now, Paul the Apostle, a.k.a. Saul, <laughs> this was a guy who was very educated. Uh, he sat under a guy named Gamaliel. And, and he understood Roman law, he understood Jewish customs, Jewish law. He was the guy who persecuted the church. He hated Christians. He actually had a license to kill. And his job was to go and persecute Christians. He was a guy who can go toe-to-toe with any guy from Harvard or Yale or Princeton or whatever it is. This is, a, this is, this is who Paul the Apostle is. He, becomes, he has this radical encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he's blinded. And God gets a hold of him. You know, when you're blinded, that's when, that's when everything is in perspective. Sometimes God has to blind us to get our attention. And that's what God did with Paul the Apostle. And he traveled quite a bit. Um, just a little slice of some of his travels. He went to Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, and Rome. And so he's traveling through these cities, and he's telling people about Jesus. And uh, you read why, you know, later on, you see in the rest of the chapters after the book of Acts, you, you, you see his letters to the Philippians, to the Thessalonians, to the Corinthians, to the Ephesians, or to Rome and Romans. And you, you see, that's what it is. He's writing back to the, let, uh, to the churches that he visited as he, as he traveled. And one of the most famous chapters in the New Testament is Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 is so phenomenal for so many reasons. Paul is in Athens, and when he's in Athens, he gives this passionate speech 
about Jesus. He didn't plan on doing it. It wasn't part of his circuit. God just got a hold of him. And he does this at a famous place, which Rome called Mars Hill. Mars Hill. So I want to start at verse 15. It says this, those escorting Paul went with him all the way to Athens. Then they returned to Berea with instructions for Silas and Timothy to hurry and join him. So He's there in Athens. He's waiting for Silas and Timothy to join him. And he's known, or he's at this place called Areopagus. It's called the Hill of Ares, or known as Mars Hill. Anybody ever been to Greece? I've not been to Greece. It's on, it's on the bucket list. I'd love to be there. But uh, uh, this place has so much history, this Hill of Ares, or Mars Hill. Ares was the Greek god of war. And according to Greek mythology, this hill was the place where Ares stood trial before other gods for the murder of Poseidon. And uh, it rises about 377 feet above the land uh, below and not far from the Acropolis and Agora. And it served as a meeting place for the Areopagus court, the highest court in Greece for civil, criminal, and religious matters. This is the highest place. So you might think of it in our, in our, in our city. Maybe it's Denver, maybe it's Thorne or whatever it is, or it's the U.S. Supreme Court, whatever it is. This is a place where religious matters, criminal matters, seminal, uh, civil matters were all discussed in this place. And even under Roman rule, philosophy, religion, and law were discussed here. It's known for a famous university and numerous beautiful buildings. This hill is also home to the much more famous the Parthenon. The Parthenon was built to honor the worship and, and worship the goddess Athena, which is where Athens gets its name, Athena. And that's what it was used for. It was built right around 445 to 420 BC, which if you look at, at scripture, according to the book of Nehemiah, this was the time when Athens and Greece was at its climax. This is the time when it was riding full steam. It was, it was the glory days, the golden years. It was about 500 years before Paul the Apostle walks this place. So Athens is in a period of decline, but it's still recognized for its center of culture and education. Still valued for that. Verse 16 says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, do you remember who he was waiting for? waiting for a couple of guys, Silas and Timothy. While he was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. So I want to just talk about that word waiting a little bit, because sometimes, I mean, nobody likes the waiting room, right? Nobody likes to wait for your drink at Starbucks or wait to get served, and you're okay waiting for a little bit, but when you see that person who came in after you get served first, there's something inside of you that's bothered, that agitated, you know, I was here before them, or when it passes that acceptable time in our mind that we've been waiting. So many times, and sometimes it's a stage of life. You're like, okay, I'm waiting. I feel like I want to go to the next level, the next thing, the next job, the next career, the next path, and we're in the stage of waiting. And sometimes we think waiting is the same as wasting. Like, I'm wasting time here. I should be, I should be, I should be, I should be, and we get really, really flustered. But I want you to hear this. Honor God while you wait. Honor God while you wait. God doesn't look at time the way you and I look at time. It's not linear to God. He, he, you're, the season you're in, he's building you up, he's preparing you, or he's going to use you while you wait. And Paul was waiting in Athens for his buddies to arrive, and they're not around. 
So what does he do? He starts walking around, and he's looking. He's like, gosh, these people have a lot of idols around here. Why do they have so many idols around here? Look at all these idols. They're everywhere. And he's, he's observing, and there's something happening inside of Paul while he's waiting, while he's waiting. In fact, verse 16 in another version says it like this. His spirit was being provoked within him. Now, this is not referring to the Holy Spirit. See, all of us are spiritual beings. You have a spirit living inside of you. <clears throat> and, and maybe you can identify with this. Um, something was happening inside of Paul. This is something that happens to Christians. You can be troubled about things that didn't bother you before you were a Christian. Now you're a Christian, and now certain things bother you. You're more aware of, of language. You're more aware of, well, I shouldn't be watching this show, or I shouldn't be in this site, or I shouldn't be talking like this, or I, my heart, I shouldn't. All of a sudden, you have a new awareness of what it means to live a godly life, and it's because God is checking you, and, he, and he's speaking to you. And Paul is there, and it's not about his feelings being hurt. It's about a spiritual conviction, a holy angst, that, that this, this, you know what, I don't like what I, I'm seeing here. And, and there's something in that bubbling up inside of Paul. And what, what was the scripture says? He was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He saw all the idols. You know, one of the signs that you're growing closer to God is you start caring about the things that God cares about. It's one of the signs. You start caring about the things God cares about. You have a desire to read God's word. You care about that person who is poor. You care about that outcast. You care about that problem who's go, uh, person who's going through problems. You just start caring about the things that God cares about. And that's a sign of, that you're growing closer to the Lord. You start looking at money differently. You start looking at relationships differently. You start looking at people differently. And your heart is being transformed. Your mind is being renewed. And that's what, that's what happens. And Paul looks around and he sees this. I like the way this one Bible scholar put it. He said, each idol revealed that these men and women of Athens had a great capacity for God. True. They knew there was something beyond man and they were seeking for it. But each idol also revealed a twisting, a distorting of that capacity, a sabotaging of it. See, there's something in us that drives us to seek truth, that drives us to seek this intelligent supreme being. There's something in us that says, we need, you know, this desire to worship, this desire to know God, and I'm going to seek God, and I'm going to seek Him. And then, and then there's some, that's, all, that's all of God. God planted eternity in the hearts of men and women. That's what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. That's part of God. That's what He does. He's hardwired you to seek Him and to know Him because He wants you to walk with Him. But what the enemy does is he comes and distorts things. So then you have these idols, and we might think, oh, we're not like, we're like the people of the Athenians, but we're much more like them than we care to admit. We worship today. We have idols like money, a website, video game, maybe our phone. Some of us love our phone more than we love people. <clears throat> Social media, our bodies, our career, nature, hobby, a sports team. Any of this stuff that money is not an issue and you elevate it to a point where it occupies your time and you can spend hours and hours on social media and you spend zero time in reading God's word and you're okay with that. You're okay. You can be with someone and be with, with, you know, look at your phone the whole time and not be engaged and you're okay with that. 
You can go to a website and you can be consumed with something that you see. And you, all you think about is going to that website, going to that website, going to that website, and it consumes you. And then you start, you start worshiping it. Verse 17 says this, he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. This is so big because he's waiting for his buddies to show up and he's looking around at all these idols and God stirs his heart and he says, you know what, I can't just sit here. I'm going to go into the synagogue and I'm going to go talk to them. I'm going to talk to these God-fearing Jews. And he spoke daily in the, what? In the public square. Do you see that? In the public square to all who happen to be there. Now, this is the first time we see in the book of Acts something happening. Paul is going out to the streets. He's always going to the synagogues. But for the first time in the book of Acts, you see him start a street ministry. Legit street ministry. What if I said, hey guys, after this, after church, we're all going downtown and we're going to go to 16th Street and we're all going to preach. Are you down for that? Some of you might be, um, yeah, I'll, I'll go. Others of you be like, I'm not going to go downtown. And I'm not going to preach. There's no way. But that, that's what Paul's doing. He goes to the street. He takes the word of God to the street, to the public square. I have a friend of mine. He, uh, he, he's, he goes to 16th Street, and he sets up a little box, and he preaches. That's what he does. And he has his signs. And if you were to meet him, he's a super, super nice guy. And I, I talked to him. And I said, do you ever get like weird stuff? He goes, eh, every once in a while sometimes. But you can just tell he just has thick skin. And he's like, it's all good. He just preaches. That's his ministry. That's what Paul does. That takes some courage, doesn't it? Do you have that kind of courage? Go into the streets and, and do that. And he's doing that. Verse 18 says this. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. So let me just ask you, would you be willing to share your faith with a professor of philosophy at Harvard or Yale? Would you be willing to share your faith? Or would you think, you know what, their IQ is so much greater than mine, and they're just so much more well-read than I am, so I'm just not going to share my faith. Because they're just smarter people. And for some reason, smarter people don't walk with God or something or don't believe in or whatever you might think. But I want to talk about what these Epicureans and Stoic people were. The Epicureans were, were these are philosophers who generally believed that God existed, but that he was not interested or involved with humanity. And the whole purpose of life was pleasure. That's what the Epicureans believed. That's, they, just, they just believed that, that it was all about pleasure, 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 relax, enjoy life, don't worry, it's all about pleasure. Now, we have a little bit of Epicurean, I think, in all of us. We're attracted to pleasure, and sometimes that gets us in trouble. We're attracted. The Stoics, maybe you came from a part of the country where being a Stoic was valued and viewed as mature. If you come from out east, you don't show emotions, right? You don't show emotions because you show emotions, it's kind of like Spock from Star Trek or something. If you show emotions, then you're weak. So you don't show any emotions. They believe, don't show any emo emotional response to pain or pleasure. That's what a Stoic believed. And then and you, when you keep reading this, it says this, when he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, and it's so important when you see what Paul is doing. Paul is talking to them about Jesus and the resurrection, and he does this, and he, and he talks about both. And they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. And they used the word 
babbler. That's a derogatory word. Uh, the word babbler literally means a seed collector. Think of a bird going around the ground and picking up seed from the ground. And the whole idea behind this word was this is a person who gathers bits of information from the ground, so to speak, and uses it, spouts them off as secondhand without any real knowledge or understanding of what he's spewing out. So it's, it's this, they don't have respect for Paul at all. And they look at his, his, even the words that he's sharing, like this guy doesn't even know what he's saying. He's a babbler. He's picking up seed, picking up thoughts from the ground, and he's packaging it like it's his own thoughts. He, he doesn't know what he's saying. He's just regurgitating stuff. That's what they're saying. He's regurgitating stuff. Verse 19 says this, Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about the new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things. And, he want, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained, look at this, it should be explained that all the Athenians as well as the foreigners in Athens seem to spend all their time discussing the, what? Discussing the latest ideas. So these are people who love to talk. You know anyone like that? You put them in a circle and they'll talk about everything, whether it's philosophy, religion, politics, animals, current events, whatever it is, and they're just talkers. You know what I mean like that? They just love to talk. And that's who these guys are. They love to talk about the latest ideas. And there's a certain fulfillment and adrenaline rush maybe that they get just from spewing out. And I want you to hear this. It's always easier to talk than to do. It's always easier to sit in a circle and talk about things than to say, okay, I'm going to do. It's always easier to talk about God than to give your life to God. It's always easier to say Jesus is Lord than to, for him to be Lord of your life every day. It's always easier to say, yes, I'm an honest person, but to live honestly with integrity every day is a whole different level. It's always easier to talk than to do. Always. Ladies, I'm going to help you out. What would happen if your man just said, I love you, I love you, I love you, but never showed it. How would that make you feel? You'd be like, where are the flowers? <laughs> show, show me, help me out with the dishes. Help me out with my day. I've had a busy day or vice versa, man. Uh, lady, well, how would you feel if your woman said, I love you, but she just never respected you and never supported you and never, never loved on you in any way? How would that make you feel? You'd be bothered about that. You'd be bothered about that. Remember, Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. And it's always you to talk than to do. Verse 22 says this. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. And here it comes. Here's the TED Talk. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. So he's saying, you know, I, I notice you have all these idols everywhere. You clearly have a capacity to worship. You have all these idols. And I want you to hear this. You can value being a good person and not know God. God wants you to know the source of all life and goodness. You can value kindness and not know God. You can value love and not know the God of love. You can value all kinds of wonderful things, and you, and you, can, you can feed the hungry and reach out to the poor and do all those things and not know God, and not know God. Christianity is about action. It's faith and action working together. Verse 22 says this, So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. I just read that. Uh, you're very religious in every way. I'm going I'm to go to verse 23. At, for as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it. Let's read it out loud, guys. To. 
So Paul is looking around, and he's looking here on Mars Hill, and he's like, yeah, that's that, that, that idol, that idol, that idol, that idol. And then there's this one that's over here that says to an unknown God. It's almost as if just in case they missed a God. They can, here's this one. <laughs> we want to make sure we capture all the gods. And there's this one right here called to an unknown God, just to make sure we got all of them. And, and, he, and Paul is honing in on this guy. And it says, this God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm talking to you about. This guy. In verse 24, he says this, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Now check this out what Paul is doing. He says, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in a man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and, and, sat, and, the, and he satisfies every need. But he says, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. What's Paul doing? This is really, really, really interesting. Paul is not starting off and saying, hey, I want to I quote to you John chapter 3, verse 16. I want to take you down the Roman road. I want to tell you uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says this, or Romans 8, 28 says this, or Jeremiah 29, 11, or whatever it is. He's not, he's not referring at all to Scripture. What is he doing? He's going to this thing called the unknown God, and he starts talking about creation. He says, I want to talk to you about the God who created everything. You know what he's doing? He's building a bridge. If you want someone to know God, build a bridge. Don't burn a bridge. Build a bridge. Start with where they are at. Start with their struggle and go from there. And he builds this bridge and he's saying, let's talk about this, this God of creation. Let's talk about this God of creation. I, I think about this God of creation and it's pretty amazing. Uh, when you think about the sun, um, <clears throat> how long would it take to drive to the sun, which is about 93 million miles away from us? I got this cool picture. This is when we were at doing our, our camp, uh, our creation camp, and this is at East Lake with the sun behind uh, all the kids and everything. I thought it was a cool picture. But how long would it take us if we drove 60 miles per hour to get to the sun? 177 years. We drove 60 miles per hour. We got to the sun. Or if you were in a commercial jet, Blake, it would take 19 years, just so you know. So you need to make, make sure you got... Anyway, um, Milky Way is the galaxy that we're in right now, and, and it's, it's, it is 100,000 light years across. This means it would take 186,000 miles a second for 100,000 years to reach one end to the other. Psalm 19 says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. So even if you're skeptical about the Bible, even if you're skeptical about church, Paul is just saying, just look up. Look at the God of creation. Look at the order of all the universe. Look at, look at it and just observe the order and recognize that there is an intelligent supreme being behind all of our stars and all of our galaxy and just let that sit in you for a little bit. And Paul says, that's the God I'm talking about. The biggest dilemma for scientists is finding more habitable planets with our, own, with our known universe. To date, we have found no intelligent life. Unless you go to Roswell, New Mexico. Maybe you find something there. But there's no real life at all. And one of the arguments is if the universe is just a habitation for you and I, it's severely oversized. But... What if the primary purpose of the universe is to show off the splendor and majesty and the glory of God that created it all? Then the universe is really just the right size. 
If the whole purpose of the universe is just to show off God's glory and his splendor, to remind you that you are small and he is great and he is majestic, then it's the right size. I think about our mountains. You know, I, this is a picture when I was walking my dog, Caddy. And, and, and yeah, anybody, when you're going on walks or whatever, you just stop and you take pictures of the sky. Everybody do that? Stop, take pictures of the mountains, the colors, and this kind of thing. I don't think there should be one atheist in Colorado. Because all you have to do is look up and look at creation and look at the sky and look at the stars and say, wow, he's just, there's, there's, look at that. Look at that. Psalm 104 says this, praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. Beautiful. Some of you need to hear this. Get to know your creator. Get to know your creator. Start there. Get to know the God who created it all. Get to know your creator. Paul goes on in verse 26. So he starts up talking about God the creator, and he starts talking about creation, and he's saying, this is the God I'm talking to you about. And then he unpacks it a little bit. In verse 26, he says this, from one man, from one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. And he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. He says, from one man. You know what that means? That means we're all related. Phil is my brother. Matt's my brother. Stephanie's my sister. <clears throat> We're all, Corey's my brother. Toby's my brother. We're all related. Emily's my sister. We can all do that. You know what that means? We can drink from the same cup and it'll be all right. No. Some, I said that about Pastor Nick, and he freaks out. He's a germaphobic. But, uh, <laughs> but we're all related. We're all, we're all related. From one, there's, there's, you, know, you may be black or white or red or mahogany, whatever it is, but we're all related. It's from one man. We're all related. We all have the same challenges. We all go through similar battles. We all need the grace of God. We're all related. Paul's doing something here. Paul was not a lake. He was a fountain. Paul was a guy who, he, he, he gained this understanding of God, and, and he comes in, you know, to Jesus Christ, and he's learning, and he's reading, and he's growing in his faith, but he's not a lake that just absorbs all of it. He's a fountain that's spilling it out to others and say, I want you to know about Jesus too. I want you to understand God's love too. I want to bring you as well. And let me ask you this question, are you a lake or are you a fountain? Is it just about you consuming and you're not serving, you're not reaching out, you're not giving, you're, you're, just, you're just a taker and you're bringing it all in for yourself. But is there someone in your life that you care about that God is calling you to reach out to them? Are you a lake or are you a fountain? Which one? Verse 27, Paul keeps going. He says, his purpose was the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them God is close to you. Can you do that? Just tell them God is close to you. God is close to you. And Paul is saying, this is the purpose of God, for you to seek after God. Seek him, and you'll find him. And this is the whole purpose. God wants you to know him. 
And he's saying, if you seek him, you'll find him. And this is part of God's plan. And by the way, he's much closer to you than you realize. God's much closer to you than you realize. He's so close to you. You can find him if you seek him with all of your heart. Hear this. God wants you to seek after him. He's not far from you. You can know his love and grace at a personal level. He keeps on going. He says, for in him <laughs> we live and move and exist. Wow. Reminds me of Colossians. Um, Paul says, in Christ all things consist. Everything was created in and through Jesus Christ. Christ holds all things together. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. We're all brothers and sisters. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. And look at verse 30. Here's Paul's getting a little bit, you know, he's getting a little more serious. He says, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now, but now, can you say but now out loud with me? But now, but now he commands everyone everywhere to, to what church? To repent of their sins and turn to him. So Paul is saying, here's the God of justice. Before Jesus came into this world, everyone was kind of trying to find their own way and, and, and you were trying to do that. In fact, the last verse in Judges says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. <clears throat> and the gospel really was a Jewish gospel. It wasn't a Gentile gospel, which is non-Jew. And Paul is saying, but now, after the cross and after the resurrection and after the evidence, but now you have greater accountability. Now God has an expectation for you. I mean, God, God has provided a way for you to know him through Christ Jesus, but now everything is different. Verse 31 says, For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. That's Jesus. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. If a guy said, you know what, one day I'm going to die and I'm going to get beaten and they're going to they're gonna kill me. I'm going to be dead for three days, but then I'll come back to life. And then that actually happens. I'm going to listen to that guy. <laughs> I'm going to be like, what, what is up with this? Verse 30, verse 30, verse 30, uh, 30, 32 says, when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, Somewhat. Somewhat. You surprised? Paul doesn't even crack out scripture, really. Something you notice about Paul is, is he doesn't hold back truth either. I mean, he shares the truth with the love. And he says, it's about Jesus and you got to turn from your sins and you've got to do this. Sometimes in our exchange of faith, we, we just had the whole thing and there's little truth in it and, and you should know God and God loves you and he cares about you. Okay. And you know, that's it. But there's the truth side as well. Just look at the cross. There's a truth side to it. But some people laughed. It reminds me when I was going to uh, uh, way back when I had just come to know Jesus and I was uh, uh, with my friend and we were going to the University of Texas in uh, San Antonio and and uh, I, I 
came to know Jesus and I was learning my faith and, and, and I told him, his name was, was Michael Young. You pray for him. And I said, Michael, um, read, read this. And I gave him a verse to read and, and he reads it. And I still remember him like he read it and just a smart guy. And he closed the book and he threw it on the dashboard. He just threw the whole Bible on the dashboard. And he said, that's stupid. Some will laugh. Some will laugh. <laughs> but others said, we want to hear more about this later. So there's the second group. There's other people say, you know what? That's intriguing. I want to research that a little bit. I'm going to think about what you said. That's good. Verse 33 says this, that ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined them and became believers. Among them were uh, Dionysus, a member of the council, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So you have these three people, groups. You have some people that just laugh. <laughs> Joke, church, <laughs> they are right. Whatever, there's a God, yeah. Then you have these other people that are like, you know what, I'll think about it. That's interesting. Then you have these other people that said, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. When you look at Paul, let me just say this. You have a choice. You have a choice. When you look at Paul, for those of you who consider yourself a Christian, hear this. When you look at Paul, you see his heart. You see his heart. And you see him say, look, he's waiting for his buddies. He's waiting for them. And he's looking around and there's all these idols everywhere on Mars Hill. And he's just like looking at all these things. And he sees this one that says to an unknown God and God stirs his heart. And he's thinking, I want these people to know the God who changed my life. So he doesn't, he just comes right out and, and, and he, he goes to the synagogue and then he goes to the street and he shares this message and he starts with, let me talk to you about the God of creation. And this one over here that says to an unknown God, I want you to know who he is. Now here's the question I have for you. Who do you love? <laughs> you want to see everyone go to heaven? You want to see everyone eat? I mean, God wants you to have this heart. If you consider yourself a Christian, then you are a missionary and you have a responsibility to be a, to be a fountain, not a lake, but to be a fountain and to let other people know who Jesus Christ is, inviting them to church, inviting them to know the God of creation. Who do you love? Here's what I want to say to you. If you knew the reality of hell, you would do everything possible to bring everyone with you to heaven. Everything possible. Everything. If you knew the reality of hell. God wants you to look at a soul and see that soul the way God looks at that soul. And God wants you to reach out to him or to her and say, I look, I just want you to know there's this God. You don't have to live with this weight. You don't have to live with this problem like this. You can give your problem to God. You, don't, you could know grace and peace and love and joy. You can walk with Jesus in this broken world. You can know God's love. And I'm not going to leave until you come to know this God. He loves you and he cares about you so much. Who do you love? I hope your life isn't <laughs> made up of just a whole bunch of other Christians, and that's it. Who do you love? My dad, 
my bio, well, he's not my biological dad. My biological dad died uh, a few years ago. My, and I didn't have much relationship with him, but my stepdad, my stepdad and I have history. And we're oil and water, <coughs> my stepdad and I. If you were to meet him and meet, a, meet I mean, obviously there's no genetics, there's nothing there. But this is a guy who <laughs> I experienced physical abuse and emotional abuse and verbal abuse from this guy. My relationship wasn't good. And then our relationship started changing when I got older. I intentionally, he's the one who adopted me and gave my name, my name Villarreal. I couldn't say it until like four years ago. But <laughs> I, he's, and I didn't change my name because I thought um, if I change my name, I will give him a reason to walk away from God. That's the truth. So after I came to know Jesus, before I married Grace, I thought, let me want to change my name to my grandpa's name. And I thought, I want to do that because I didn't have any connection with my stepdad. But then I thought if I did that, I would give him a reason to say, you know what? I don't care about God. I don't care about Christ. I don't care about church because look what you did to me. And I didn't want to give him that reason. So I kept the name. That's the story. Our relationship has changed. And now he's getting older. The guys, this is a guy who's very, who was a, big athlete. He used to box for Golden Gloves, and, and this is the guy who played baseball and softball and football, all those things. But his body's just not doing well. Right now, <clears throat> you know, he goes to his dialysis three times a month. Three times a month. He's there four hours a day, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, three, four hours a day. And <clears throat> his body's just, he's got arthritis in his back, and he's got the shakes, and, and he needs my mother to put on his clothes every morning. And I talked to him. I just talked to him a few days ago. And I said, hey, Dad, um, <clears throat> you got to make sure you're right with Jesus, Dad. <laughs> you got to make, I'm crying on the phone. I said, Dad, is Jesus Lord of your life? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I said, Dad, I love you, Dad. I love you too, son. I love you too. And I'm talking to the guy who I have history with. But the Lord is done something in my heart and I see this man who's on a road and needs to make sure his soul is right and I feel that burden to talk to him who is it that you love maybe you work with them maybe you go to school with them maybe live with them in your own home who do you love that you say you know what I want to be an example I, I, I wholeheartedly believe the best sermon is a good example we don't need talk we need action. The best sermon is a good example. Here's the challenge I want to give you. For those of you, whether you're a Christian or not, I just want to challenge you to do this. The challenge is to have your own Mars Hill experience this week. The challenge is to share your faith with someone. Just tell them what God's done in your life. If you're still working through stuff, that's cool. Just tell them, hey, I'm exploring God. Be honest with them. Share your faith with someone this week week. You willing to do that? You willing to do that? Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy. You're so good. God, I thank you for uh, Acts chapter 17. I thank you, God, that you're a God of grace and mercy. <laughs> I thank you, God, that uh, you don't ever give up on us. You don't walk out on us. I thank you, God, that you're a God who could take all of our problems and worries and you're the God of order. I thank you for all that. And maybe you're ready to ask Jesus into your heart. Would you say this prayer if that's you? Just say, Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. And forgive me for my sins. 
This morning, I choose to become a Christian. Others of you, maybe you're more like a lake than a fountain, and maybe God is stirring you. You consider yourself a Christian. But maybe you're ready for the challenge. And just tell God, God, give me an opportunity this week to share my faith with someone. Make that your prayer. Give me an opportunity, God, and put the words in my mouth and direct my thoughts, God, exactly what I should share and put that broken soul in my path this week. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.